chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. A song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness, with exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. Moab is my wash basin, upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do, not, you do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come now to your word, grateful for this time. We pray that by your spirit, you would allow us to make the most of it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the advent of digi digital means of recording music, musicians were able to approach the creation of new music in a different way. Digital music me meant that bits and pieces of existing music could be looped into a new song. That process became known as sampling. And sampling meant that you could take bass lines or hooks of one song, and they could then provide the foundation for a new or new-ish song. In the late 80s and early 90s, Vanilla Ice borrowed from David Bowie and Queen to give us Ice Ice Baby. The bass line is straight from David Bowie and Queen. Or MC Hammer takes a really tasty and iconic bass line from Rick James, to give us can't touch this. Hip-hop found a new way to take old songs and give them new life. Now, there's another iteration of this approach. It's grown. There's now something called a mashup. And a mashup is where a musical track is created by blending elements of two different songs to create a new song. The two songs don't even have to be of the same genre. In fact, one of my favorite mashups currently takes an old R&B song with a country song that came out in the last 18 months. Again, an old song is given new life. Psalm 108 is a mashup. Psalm 108 actually consists of parts of Psalm 57 and parts of Psalm 50. David takes them, tweaks them, and voila, we have two different psalms being given new life. This is David's mashup. 
Now, Psalm 108, even though it combines two different elements, has its own big idea. And so on page five, <coughs> you'll see there the big idea for our time together this morning. And it's this, God is worthy of praise, even in the most unlikely circumstances. God is worthy of praise, even in the most unlikely circumstances. Two points we want to make them this morning. The first one is this, God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of praise. I think we get it, don't we? My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. This is not David standing and saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up and I'm just going to be a consumer. And maybe I'll get into it. Maybe I won't. No, this is David saying, with my harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. And I'm going to do this with all of my being. Now, it'll help us to understand exactly what's going on here if we understand the setting of the two psalms that David has mashed up. This first part of Psalm 108 comes from Psalm 57. And in Psalm 57, we're told it's a psalm that was written by David as King Saul is pursuing him. David, at this point, is the anointed king of Israel, but there's another king who sits on the throne. Saul is king. And Saul is hunting David, wanting to kill him. David has gone from champion, giant killer, personal musician to the king and son-in-law to Saul, having married his daughter Michael, to now being persona non grata. And in his living on the run, in trying to stay a few steps ahead of Saul and the Israelite army, David makes sojourns into both Moab and Philistia. These nations are sworn enemies of Israel, but as the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so here in the midst of the nations, as David says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, verse 3, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. This is David not living in Bethlehem. This is David not living in Jerusalem. This is David and his men living on the run, living in tents, living as sojourners and exiles in both Moab and then again in Philistia. David's circumstances are not what he would like them to be. David's circumstances are unlikely. David's circumstances are certainly uh, not for his benefit, we would think. And yet, despite of his circumstances, David is committed to praising the Lord. Now, this isn't just because David believes in the power of positive thinking and David is naturally a guy who's an optimist. David doesn't walk around necessarily always thinking the glass is half, uh, the, the glass is half full. Now, David's circumstances are changing. His life is a hot mess, but still, God is worthy of praise. Look, if you would, at verse four. Why is it that God is worthy of praise? He says that God's steadfast love is great above the heavens and his faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Now, let's make sure we understand what's going on here and what it is that David is teaching us. See, oftentimes 
We associate praise with performance. You do something well, you get praise. You do something kind or nice, you get praised. But let me ask you this. Parents, do you praise a child for their stubborn disobedience? Do you praise a coworker for their incompetence? Can you imagine Lesser Dan saying, hey, thanks for backing over my foot with the forklift, Donnie? Wouldn't happen. That's not the way we give praise. We give praise when someone performs in the way in which we want them to. We're conditioned to tie praise to performance. But David grounds his praise not in God's performance, so that's perfect. But did you see that God or that David ties his praise to God's character? His steadfast love is great above the heavens. He is faithful. Furthermore, God's character guarantees the deliverance and salvation of his people. That's what he's talking about in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, In order that your beloved ones might be delivered, give salvation by your right hand and answer me. David grounds his praise in God's character. And then he says, And God, because you are who you are, we know you're going to perform. You are faithful. And because you're faithful, you are going to deliver your people. Well, that becomes the basis then, not just of the rest of the psalm in which David is going to pray that God would bless uh, his anointed king, but it also becomes the basis of missions as we understand it to the nations in the New Testament. It's the understanding that God is faithful and that God is faithful even among the nations and that God will be praised among the nations. Paul says, this is why we go and we take the gospel because we want the Gentiles to praise too. So we don't just want the Gentiles to hear God's people praising him. We want them to join in that chorus of praise. And so it isn't just that I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. But Paul says, no, listen, we're doing this so that the nations will join in. We want the nations to sing God's praise. We want the nations to give God thanks. We want the nations to understand that God is faithful and God delivers and God saves. Secondly, we see that God is faithful to his king. We see that God is faithful to his king. Now, the other part of this mashup comes from Psalm 60. And Psalm 60, most scholars think, was written shortly after David became king. Now, one of the downsides of following a weak and ungodly king is that uh, when you become the king, you have to clean up somebody else's mess. And that was certainly true for David. So shortly after David became king, he had to go to war against the Moabites. And so he writes this psalm after returning from defeating the Moabites, but we know, not only from Psalm 60, but we know also from the book of 2 Samuel, that the battle was nip and tuck. It wasn't necessarily an assured outcome that just because David was leading the army, the army was going to win. And yet again, we see David pointing our attention to the character 
of God and the promises of God. What is the character of God? Look at verse 7. God has promised in his holiness. In other words, God has promised, and guess what? There's no one like him. He is entirely other. God is not like us, only more so. That would be the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. No, God is unique. God is wholly other. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so God says, out of his holiness, out of his character, he gives his king a particular promise. He will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead, which was part of Israel, is his. Manasseh is his. Ephraim is his helmet. Judah is his scepter. God is promising his king that all the places that he is responsible for, God says, listen, I'm taking care of them too. And I'm making that promise to you on the basis of, David, there is nobody like me. I am unique. I am holy. And then in verse 9, he says it in a very backhanded but very poetic way. Speaking of, and these were Israel's three pressing enemies at the time, Moab, Edom, and then again Philistia. Moab is my wash basin. Think about now, remember, this is, this is in the days before plumbing. This is in the days before paved roads. This is in the days in which there was animal byproduct and lots of other things around, right? The, the whole scene is earthy, if you understand what I'm saying. And so you would come in at the end of the day, and there would be clean water, and you would take the clean water, and you would wash your hands, and you would wash your face. And when you were done, because it's such an earthy setting, the water is no longer clean. In fact, in some instances, it's more like it looks more like the Missouri River, kind of muddy and nasty and smells like funk, right? And David says, uh, the, the Lord says through David, that's Moab. Moab is my watch basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Now again, let's remember, uh, there's a couple things going on here. Uh, throwing your shoe at someone was a kind of ultimate insult in the ancient Near East. Right? Uh, we now tell people that they're number one using a different finger than we would typically utilize for such a task. Uh, but in the ancient world, if you were really upset at somebody and you were going to let them know they were lower than pond scum, you would throw your shoe at them. But here's the other interesting thing. Again, remember, this is an earthy scene. And those of you who grew up on farms know you had to take your boots off before you came into the house, and particularly before you stepped on the carpet, because there was stuff on your boots. There was stuff on your shoes. And the Lord says, upon Edom, I cast my shoe. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Because God's people have seen God's king shout over Philistia in triumph once before. Do you remember when it was? 1 Samuel 17, when David squares off against Goliath. And David defeats him. David cuts his head off. Lifts his head so that all of Israel can see. And then the text tells us that Israel shouted in triumph. David understands that God is faithful to his king. 
David is going to defeat the enemies of God's people because God is sovereign. And God has decreed that it would be so. Now let's understand that when God promises to be faithful to his king, it also means that he's going to be faithful to his people. Now we don't think that way. Because we generally, we don't like kings. We rejected roughly 250 years ago what was known as the divine right of kings. And we said, oh, there are divine rights, but it's not about kings. It's about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are the rights that the Almighty has given. Well, please understand that when David is extolling God for his faithfulness to the king, it also means that God is going to be faithful to the subjects of the king. So let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, which one do you think would be more important to you? That God is faithful to you or that he's faithful to King Jesus? Now I realize you're saying, well, pastor, can I have both? Yes, you, you can. Because both are true. But which one in your mind would be more important? That God is faithful to his king or that God is faithful to you as one of King Jesus' subjects. David reminds us that when God is faithful to his king, that when God is faithful to the one that he has called and anointed to rule and reign over his people, it means that God is going to be faithful to his people as well. We don't have to pick. God's faithfulness to King Jesus means that God will be faithful to you as well. Well, how do we know? How do we know that God has been faithful to his king? How do we know that indeed everything that God promised to his king has actually come to pass? Well, this morning as we come to the Lord's table, we celebrate God's faithfulness to his king. We celebrate the fact that through the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are going to find their yes and amen. And we celebrate the fact that, yes, Jesus died. Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. But the Bible tells us that God the Father resurrected God the Son in power. Friends, God is faithful to his King. And because God is faithful to his king, it means he's faithful to his people. And he is worthy of our praise. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, your faithfulness. Thank you for your character. Thank you that in spite whatever our circumstances are. And Lord, I know th this morning that can be really hard for some people to hear. That God is to be praised uh, on some days, in spite of our circumstances. But Father, help us to ground our praise, not, not in our circumstances, but help us to ground our praise in your character. Help us to ground our praise in, in your faithfulness and in who you are, and not in the fleeting and shifting and changing circumstances in which we find ourselves. For we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.